Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. All right, guys. Chris here again. I'm going to be kind of looking into another uh, cult that's gained a lot of resurgence today, like the uh, Flat Earth Movement that um, fails to be critical of its own movement and uh, usually never looks into problems or inconsistencies with itself. And I found this... uh, really good article here that I'm going to read. It's actually a PDF file. Um, It's called uh, The British-Israel Myth, Christian Identity and the Lost Tribes of Israel by uh, Nick Greer. And uh, let me just start reading here. It says, uh, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. And that's 1 Timothy 1 4, King James Version. So here's the introduction. It says uh, In his book Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler talked of an Aryan super race that was destined to rule the world. The Jews were an obstacle to Hitler's, quote, glorious vision and so followed the extermination of Jews and other minorities of Europe, which was indisputably one of the darkest periods of human history. Racism is not confined to the secular world. Some Bible-based organizations and churches teach that the white races hold a privileged position and that God specially blesses the Anglo-Saxons. They often also teach that God has cursed the Jewish race. One such justification for racism is called the, quote, British Israel or Anglo-Israel theory. One particular church that used to teach the British Israel message but has had a change of heart now writes, quote, it saddens us when Christians erroneously justify their racist attitudes through misuse and misunderstanding of the Bible. Throughout the American, quote, Bible Belt, the British Israelism teaching flourishes. These Christian identity groups, as they call themselves, have asserted themselves throughout the United States, Australia, the United Kingdom, and other European nations. Nevertheless, as one author notes, quote, it is astounding how little serious attention has been paid to the subject by mainstream Christian denominations. British Israelism, or Anglo-Israelism, is a theory that identifies the Anglo-Saxon race with the, quote, ten lost tribes of Israel. It is said that promises given to Israel in Scripture will be fulfilled in Britain, America, and other Anglo-Saxon countries. There are dramatic and real-world implications of the British Israel teachings. Timothy McVeigh, the now-executed Oklahoma City bomber, had ties to, quote, Elohim City, A bearded former Canadian Mennonite preacher named Robert Miller leads Elohim City. The 75 men, women, and children who live at Elohim City are adherents to the belief in British Israelism. 
The alleged bomber of the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, Eric Rudolph, had links to British Israelism. The Sydney Morning Herald reads, quote, Federal investigators believe Rudolph, 36, has had a long association with the radical Christian identity movement, which believes North European whites are the direct descendants of the lost tribes of Israel. The British Israel teaching is incorrect. The Encyclopedia Britannica says, quote, The theory of British Israelism rests on premises which are deemed by scholars, both theological and anthropological, to be utterly unsound. Morris Silverman, assistant professor of history at Yeshiva University, New York, agrees that the theory is wrong. In Time magazine, he noted, quote, The British Israel theory is complete nonsense, as anyone with the slightest knowledge of history, anthropology, or philology can tell. The British Encyclopedia notes that, quote, The fate of these, quote, lost tribes and the identity of their descendants has long been a matter of curious and, for the most part, extremely fanciful fanciful speculation. The Anglo-Israelite theory, which would identify the missing tribes with the Anglo-Saxon race, has found many supporters but possesses little or no solid grounds for serious consideration. David McDonald from the Illinois State University History Department writes that, quote, The concept that the ten tribes moved to Europe is a complete myth. Nothing, not archaeology, cultural history, or linguistics gives the slightest credibility to this myth, or to the similar myth that the French are descendants of the Trojans. The Scots have a similar myth that they are descendants of the ancient Hebrews, and similar claims of descent from other ancient peoples can be found for virtually every group in Europe, all no more than absolute fantasy. It is one thing, however, to lightly discount the British Israel teaching, and it is another thing to explain why it is wrong. There are mountains of cleverly written pamphlets and books promoting British Israelism. In many countries, the early morning television time slots are clogged with organizations promoting British Israelism. There are many well-meaning but wrong people who teach British Israelism, and there are also those who teach the message out of wrong motives. There are many apparently good arguments. It is completely right to examine every message, messenger, and method according to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, Keep an eye on those who cause dissension and offenses in opposition to the teaching that you have learned. Avoid them. Romans 16:17. To Titus, he wrote, quote, preach with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. He continued, quote, there are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They must be silenced. Rebuke them sharply. Titus 1, 9 through 13. The purpose of the book is to provide a Christian answer to the British Israel theory. The Christian identity teaching holds that the Aryan races are God's chosen people. The Aryans are, a supposed, are supposedly superior to other races. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to disagree with this author at some point because he seems to hold that the Bible, the New Testament, also did away with all the race distinctions that God established in the Old Testament and that there is you know, a hierarchy of races and that some are superior to others. I definitely, <laughs> definitely don't disagree with that, which this author does. Um, the New Testament did no such thing. Even though the white Caucasian race might not be the descendants of uh, the Hebrew race or the Jews, which I, I now I now think, based on the evidence, that doesn't mean that uh, you know God destroyed the racial distinctions 
in the New Testament, which he didn't, or the nationalism, which he didn't, that was established in the Old Testament to preserve the races. Um, nor did he uh, destroy the advantages and disadvantages that the races each have. And there's much evidence that um, the Caucasian race is actually superior um, to many other races. In terms of uh, intelligence, um, there's a lot of evidence for that. But anyway, so back to the text. And then he says, races that some writers claim are descended from animals. The teaching has led to terrorist acts. The claims of British Israelism must be answered. The tribes of Judah and the tribes of Israel are not one and the same. Israel and Judah were once united. Saul, in about 1117 B.C., first ruled over a, quote, united kingdom of Israel and Judah, 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. But then, in about 998 B.C., the kingdom was split in two after the death of Solomon. The tribes of Judah supported King Rehoboam, while the tribes of Israel supported Jeroboam. 1 Kings 11:29-37. The distinction between the tribes of Israel and Judah is made clear when we see that there was even conflict between them on occasion. 1 Kings 14:30 and 15:7 and also 16. The ten tribes of Israel in the north were Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun, Issachar, Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim, Gad, Levi, Reuben, and Simeon. The two tribes of Judah in the south were Judah and Benjamin. For centuries, the Lord had promised that he would scatter the tribes if they disobeyed him. Quote, if you will not obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments and decrees, the Lord will bring you and the king whom, whom you set over you to a nation that neither you or your ancestors have known. Deuteronomy 28, 15, 36, 48, and 61. Many prophets repeated the threat for hundreds of years. However, the tribes continued to disobey God in fulfillment of prophecy. The tribes of Israel and Judah were taken captive by the Assyrian and Babylonian armies and exiled to Mesopotamia. There were two main captivities. First came the captivity of Israel, the ten northern tribes, by the Assyrians in about 721 B.C. Then Judah, the two southern tribes, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians in about 586 B.C. The importance of the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity should not be understated. It is impossible to make sense of Bible history without a deep respect for the impact and implications of the captivities. The Israelites were exiled by the Assyrian ruler's pool, Tiglath-Pileser III and Shalmaneser V, 2 Kings 15.29, 16 17.5-24. Assyrian inscriptions confirm the deportation. The Assyrians exiled the Israelites into Media and some Assyrian towns. 2 Samuel 7.10, Jeremiah 29.4-7. The Assyrians repopulated Israel with people from Babylon and the surrounding areas, the people who later became known as the Samaritans, 2 Kings 17.24. A scribe noted that, quote, the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had foretold through all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day, 2 Kings 17.23. Judah's later exile was related. Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar took the two southern tribes of Judah captive. The house of Judah was exiled to Babylon to the south of Assyria. The Babylonian captivity is made famous by Psalm 137, quote, 
By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. The book of Lamentations was also written to describe the plight of exiled Judah. King Cyrus of Persia eventually signed a decree allowing the captive tribes to return to Canaan, 2 Chronicles 36.22. However, according to some, only the tribes of Judah returned. Sensationalists say that the Israelite tribes never returned to Canaan but became the, quote, ten lost tribes. Many people have at times claimed to be descended from these lost tribes. Among them, the, Nestoni- the Nestorians, tribes discussed in the Book of Mormon, the Afghans, the Falashas of Ethiopia, the American Indians, and even the Japanese. The Encyclopedia Judaica notes that, quote, various theories, one more far-fetched than the other, have been adduced on the flimsiest of evidence to identify different peoples from, with the ten lost tribes. British Israelism puts the lost tribes in Britain, Chapter 2-2, the British-Israel chronology. First, many British-Israel writers say that even before the captivity of Israel, by about 1500 B.C., there was interaction between the tribe of Dan and Ireland. The tribe of Dan was a seafaring tribe, Judges 5:17, and it is suggested that they traded with and moved to Greece. Later, it is said that they moved to Ireland. They're, they are equated with the Tuatha de Danann, described in the Irish Book of Invasions, written 9th century CE. Some books skip over this part of British Israelism. Second, British Israelites suggest that about 580 BC, the throne of David was transferred from Israel to Ireland. The daughters of King Zedekiah, escaping the Babylonian captivity of Judah, were taken to Egypt by Jeremiah and ascribed Baruch, Jeremiah 43, 4-7. It is suggested that they then made their way for Spain and from there to Ireland. It is said that one of the king's daughters, Tamar Tefi, married the Irish king Eochaid, who also was allegedly Judean, and replanted the throne of David in the new land. Allegedly, Tamar Tefi took with her from Palestine, quote, Jacob's pillar, identified today with the coronation stone in Westminster Abbey. The current British monarchs, who are said to be the successors of Tamar Tefi and Eochaid, are therefore considered the kings and queens of Israel. Third, it is suggested that during about the 6th century CE, the ten tribes of the Assyrian captivity migrated across Europe. Allegedly, they were known as the Scythians during Christ's time. They became known as the Sacae, and finally as Saxons, Anglo-Saxons. Invading Britain in the 6th centuries from Germany, it is said that they made Britain the new Israel. So the Vikings, they were contemporary with Christ, but they were not Israelites. As I'm going to show, this is going to show, they were uh, Gentile pagans. These teachings of British Israelism were first hinted at by the British member of Parliament, John Sadler, in his Rights of the Kingdom, 1649. But the movement began in the 18th century after the self-styled, quote, nephew of the Almighty, Richard Brothers, published his book, A Revealed Knowledge of the Prophecies and Times, 1794. Brothers was, as one source puts it, quote, a Canadian madman. He became troubled by visions and said that the British Parliament was the, quote, beast of revelation. Brothers believed he was a descendant of King David and that only he had the right to be king of England. Unfortunately for him, King George III disagreed. 
Brothers was confined in a mental asylum from 1795 to 1806. Despite this and the failure of his prophecy that Jerusalem would be restored to the Hebrews in 1798, his movement flourished. By the end of the 19th century, there were said to be to number two million adherents of British Israelism, most of them Church of England members. Three, British Israelism examined by scripture. The main pillar of the Christian identity theory is the concept that the tribes of Israel exiled to Media never returned to the lands of Canaan. They say that only the tribes of Judah exiled to Babylon returned. A famous book written by once leader of the Worldwide Church of God, Herbert Armstrong, reads, quote, The house of Israel did not return to Palestine with the Jews in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, as some erroneously believe. Those who returned were only those of the house of Judah. If this idea is wrong, if Israelites did return to the lands of Canaan, it means that the whole concept of the, quote, lost tribes is also wrong. In about 530 B.C., Persian King Cyrus II issued an edict, or command, permitting the Hebrew captives to return to Jerusalem, Ezra 1.1-4. Many Hebrews, including women and children, returned to to Jerusalem, Ezra 4.1. In 468 B.C., more captives returned to Canaan with Ezra, Ezra 7.1-8.32. Even more may have returned with Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2.5.6.11.13.6-7. and Here is the first actual mention of Cyrus's edict from the second book of Chronicles, chapter 3620-23, italics mine. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus, the great of Persia, so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also declared in a written edict, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. British Israelites say that this edict only released the tribe of Judah to return to Canaan. According to them, the tribes of Israel were never released, but instead became lost and wandered throughout Europe. So the question becomes, did Cyrus's edict mean only that Judah should return to Canaan, or did it mean that both tribes should return? Well, who was Cyrus? He was no ordinary man. A hundred years before he was born, God, through the prophet Isaiah, told about Cyrus's birth and the deeds he would do during his life. In one astounding prophecy, Isaiah wrote of this coming king, who he named as Cyrus, who was to, quote, subdue nations before him and strip kings of their robes, and, quote, set my exiles free, Isaiah 44:24 and 45, 7 and 13. In fulfillment of another prophecy, this, quote, Cyrus was said to break the walls of Babylon so that they became a, quote, pile of stones. Jeremiah 51, 37, Isaiah 44, 27 through 45, 2. King Cyrus, who emerged in accordance with prophecy, conquered Babylon in about 539 B.C., The fall of Babylon is now immortalized by the phrase, quote, the writing is on the wall, Daniel 5, 26 through 28. Quote, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mean God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. 
After his conquest of Babylon, Cyrus was the ruler of the known world, and he is honored in Persian texts, which are inscribed, quote, I am Cyrus, king of the world, great king, legitimate king, king of Babylon, king of Sumer and Akkad. After the fall of Babylon, therefore, Cyrus was ruler over both the tribes of Judah and Babylon and the tribes of Israel and Media, Daniel 6.8. A major problem in the British-Israel argument is the failure to consider the implications of Babylon's fall to the Persian king Cyrus. The British-Israel model leaves Babylon and Media as two separate kingdoms. When Cyrus made his decree in Babylon to release, quote, those who worship the Lord, they assume that only the tribes of Judah are being released from Babylon. They don't realize that Babylon and Media were one kingdom by then. The declaration of Cyrus to release the exiles carried out by Darius in Ezra 6 would have extended over the whole Medo-Persian Empire and included the houses of both Israel and Judah. This fact can be shown from Scripture. After conquering Babylon, Cyrus made his edict, releasing all of the, quote, Lord's people in his kingdom. Cyrus's edict was not carried out immediately, and his successor, King Darius I, carried it out. At one point, Darius searched the royal archives to find the edict, Ezra 6, 1 through 7. Then King Darius made a decree, and they searched the archives where the documents were stored in Babylon, but it was in Ekbatana the capital in the province of Media, that a scroll was found on which was written, quote, a record. In the first year of his reign, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God. It is fascinating that we see a copy of the edict being found in Ekbatana, capital of Media, it shows that Cyrus's edict to release the captives was not only sent to the towns of Babylon, but also to the towns of Media. The edict was clear that, quote, whoever is among you of all his people should return. Therefore, both the tribes of Judah and Babylon and the tribes of Israel and Media were to set free to return to Canaan and re rebuild the temple. <coughs> Scripture is clear that the tribes of Judah and the remnant of Israel did return to the promised lands of Canaan and its surrounds. Jeremiah Prophecies, chapters 50, 17 through 20. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured it, and now at the end, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has gnawed its bones. I will restore Israel to its pasture. I will pardon the remnant that I have spared. Ezra talked of the return to Canaan, and he specifically makes mention of, quote, Israelite people returning, Ezra 2, 2, 59, 70, 3, 1, and 11. Other scripture records plainly that, quote, the first to live again in their possessions and their towns were the Israelites, while some of the people of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh lived in Jerusalem. First Chronicles 9, 2, and also Ezra 6, 16, and 17. By the time of Jesus Christ, we know that there were members of the Israelite tribe of Asher in Jerusalem, Luke 2.36. After the captivity, Scripture seems to say that the tribes of Judah and Israel were again united. It seems that over time, Israelites of the Assyrian captivity began, quote, merging with the Jude Judean exile, Jeremiah 50.17. Perhaps this was because their captors made no distinctions between them, Jeremiah 50.33, Ezekiel's vision of the two sticks made one, 37, 15 through 28, tells of the reunification of Israel and Judah. 
the promised land once again became known as, quote, All Israel, Ezra 270, 835, 10.5, Nehemiah 12.47. For this reason, at Pentecost, Peter could address the Hebrews as, quote, Men of Judea and as, quote, Fellow Israelites, Acts 2.14 and 29. The Apostle Paul could be a, quote, Jew, Acts 21-29, a, quote, Israelite, 2 Corinthians 11-22, and a, quote, Hebrew, Philippians 3-5, at the same time. There was no longer a distinction, and it is wrong to say that there is this distinction between the tribes of Israel and Judah to this day. So, based on my research so far, it's clear to me that uh, the Jews are still the scapegoat to this day. Um, of the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits, and that uh, white Caucasian people are a Gentile race. They're not the Hebrew Israelites of old. And, uh, you know, um, they're heirs of the promise, though, because that's what the New Testament says. It says, uh, you know, it's no longer about the flesh. It's about the heirs of promise, like Isaac was, and how Esau was hated, but they were both uh, Hebrews. Um, you know, the Gentiles were grafted in, and that would be the white Caucasian peoples, and all all peoples who, you know, were not uh, Jews. Anyway, it says, uh, Jeremiah's prophecy is also clear. So basically, uh, you know, history is about the war of the Yahudim, or the Jews, uh, versus the Roman Catholic uh, papacy, the church, and the Jesuits, Jeremiah's prophecy is also clear, however, that only a remnant of the exiles returned to the Promised Land. Ezra, for example, was one who returned to Jerusalem, whilst the book of Esther is the story of another who stayed behind. In the 5th century B.C., exiles were still found throughout the 127 juris jurisdictional districts of the Persian Empire, Esther 1.1 and 3.8. James referred to them as the, quote, 12 tribes of the dispersion, James 1.1. 1, 1. So what happened to the Israelites that remained in Babylon and Media? The real eventual fate of many of the Israelites who chose to remain in Media was probably death. Deuteronomy 28.15, 36, 48, 61, almost 9.4, 9.10. An old article in Time magazine says, quote, There is no mystery about the fate of the ten tribes. Most of those exiled to media died of harsh treatment. The Assyrians were the Nazis of their day. The prophet Isaiah powerfully prophesies their fate. Through your people Israel were like the, or though your people Israel were like the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. Isaiah 10:22. It is a clear parallel for Christians today. All are offered forgiveness and restitution through the Lord Jesus Christ, but only a remnant will be saved through faith. Those refusing the invitation are forced to suffer the consequence. Matthew 7:13-14 and Daniel 12:2. The Jewish Encyclopedia clearly sets out the scriptural quote proofs for British Israelism, some of which must be answered. Quote, at the start, distinction is made between the ultimate fates of Israel and Judah, modern-day Jews. It is pointed out that while in the prophecies Israel will change its name, Hosea 1.9, be numberless, Hosea 2.1, dwell in islands, Isaiah 24.15, with colonies and be the chief of nations, Micah 
Judah will be a byword, Jeremiah 15.4. The quote, idols, Isaiah 41.1 and 42.4, to which Israel was banished, were to, the, to be north, Jeremiah 3.12, and west, Isaiah 24.15, of Palestine, and to be in a cold climate, since it is said, quote, heat nor sun will smite them, Isaiah 49.10, it was further promised that the isles would become too small for Israel, Isaiah 49:19, and that Israel would be a nation and a company of nations, Genesis 35:11. It would therefore have colonies, Isaiah 49:20 and 54:8, so that it might surround the nations, Deuteronomy 32:7 through 9, and be above all of them, Deuteronomy 7:6, 14:2 and 28:1. The British lion and the unicorn are referred to in Numbers 24, 8, and 9, while the American eagle is identified in the prophecy of Ezekiel 17, 3. Perhaps the strongest scriptural argument for British Israelism, or most often brought up, is the reference to Israel being in, quote, isles, according to some translations. For example, the King James Version would translate Isaiah 49.1 and 3 as, quote, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from afar. Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Why is Israel called an island, unless Britain has now become Israel? The Jewish Encyclopedia notes that, quote, The whole British-Israelite theory rests upon an identification of the word isles in the English version of the Bible, unjustified by modern philology, which identifies the original word with, quote, coasts, or, quote, distant lands, without any implication of their being surrounded by the sea. For example, in the King James Version, you will also see that Tyre is described as a, quote, isle, Isaiah 23, 1 and 2. This example shows the mistranslation clearly, because Tyre is not an island, but was primarily a coastal town. And so, a more accurate translation renders Isaiah 49, 1 and 3 as, quote, Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The original text did not have Israel dwelling in an island, and the faulty translation cannot be used to prove the British-Israel theory. The British, quote, lion and unicorn are also mentioned. According to the King James Version, Israel is identified with a lion and a unicorn. This would seem to be a reason for associating Israel with the famous British, quote, lion and unicorn. Numbers 24, 8 and 9 is rendered in that version, quote, God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He lay down as a lion. This scripture was influential for a popular Australian British-Israel preacher, Lloyd Longfield, who has said, quote, When I came out of the army, I went to have a look at these prophecies because it seemed to be about Russia, and you know the lion and unicorn people are mentioned in the Bible in Numbers. However, again, there are problems in translation. The word Hebrew, the Hebrew, the word Hebrew word re'em is translated as quote unicorn in the King James version, and really means quote a wild ox, a species of which is now extinct. In fact, re'em cannot be translated as unicorn with one horn because the re'em had quote horns, even as noted in the King James version margin at Deuteronomy 33:17. The New Encyclopedia Britannica notes that they quote, word re'em was translated, quote, unicorn or, quote, rhinoceros in many versions of the Bible, but many modern translators prefer, quote, wild ox or the aurochs, which is the correct meaning of the Hebrew re'em. 
For that reason, more accurate translations render Numbers 24, 8, and 9 as, quote, God who brings him out of Egypt is like the horns of a wild ox for him. He lay down like a lion. Israel in Scripture is not identified with a, quote, lion and unicorn. So again, another pillar of British Israelism support falls over. British Israel books also point to the American eagle as being a symbol of Israel. For instance, the Revival Times says, quote, The scripture concerning God bearing Israel forth on eagle's wings, Exodus 19.4, caused the symbol of the eagle to be chosen as the foundation of the great seal. However, if having an eagle on a national crest makes a country Israelite, then even Babylon is identified with Israel, Ezekiel 17.3 and 12. Another pamphlet, quote, The Great Seal of the USA, notes another interesting fact. Manasseh was the 13th tribe. Whether by coincidence or by design, on their seal they placed also 13 stars on the original flag, 13 constellations, 13 stripes, 13 arrows, 13 olive berries, 13 olive leaves, and 13 letters to their motto, quote, E Pluribus Unum. The incidence of 13 is true, but has no theological significance. There were 13 colonies at the time of the American War of Independence, so the 13s were not meant to symbolize America with the Israelite tribe of Manasseh, but to represent each of the colonies. It should also be asked how the tribe of Ephraim, Britain, could have become the tribe of Manasseh, United States, simply by crossing the Atlantic in the Mayflower. Any reading of, the, of early American history makes it clear that the pilgrims who settled in America did not come as a organized, quote, tribe, but instead they dribbled into America from various European countries for various reasons, combining into the American racial, quote, melting pot. America is no separately identifiable tribe of Manessa and is now more than ever a combined, disparate mix of races of people from all over the earth. Another great failure of the British-Israel argument is that it does not see past the Old Covenant promises. It is true that God made many great promises to Abraham. Genesis 12 and 17 are often quoted. Genesis 12:2 and 17:5 and 7 says, I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will establish my covenant between me and you and to your offspring after you. Notice that Moses writes, quote, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Australian British Israelite teacher Frank Nankivel writes that, quote, there is only one commonwealth, commonwealth of nations in this world today, originating from one historically great nation, i.e. Great Britain. Frank Nankivel takes the bold step of arguing that the word great in Great Britain proves that the blessings of Abraham in Genesis were fulfilled in that country and in the British Commonwealth. Interestingly, most people living in the British Commonwealth are not Anglo-Saxon. The great majority of the 1.6 billion people in its 53 countries are of other races. There is a strong argument against Frank Nankivell in that in that, that the promise of being a, quote, great nation was already fulfilled in the house of Israel. With reference to the, quote, great name, the Hebrew word gadol is used for greatness, eminence, and excellence. Two generations after the quoted promise, the Lord fulfilled this promise by naming Abraham's descendants after himself, quote, Israel, quote, a prince with God, Genesis thirty-two twenty-eight. Israel became the, quote, great nation promised. Another related scripture reads, quote, a nation, Hebrew goy, 
and a company of nations shall be of thee. Genesis 35.11 and King James Version. <clears throat> and although this scripture is used to link Israel with the British Commonwealth, a literal translation could read, A people, even an assembling of peoples, it shall be from thee. Importantly, the meaning of goy, translated, quote, nation, has really a broader meaning than is usually associated with this word. In Hebrew, the, quote, goy did not always refer to a political unit, country, or state as we know it, as it was used in Genesis 10.5. For example, it is used in Deuteronomy 26.5, where we read, quote, Israel went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, or goy. Goy comes from the word body and could stand for any distinguishable group of people or of animals, referring to groups other than what we think of as a, quote, nation. In its singular form, goy is used for an army and a swarm of locusts. In its plural form, goyim is used for nomadic tribes or bands, the inhabitants of a city, the various groups of Samaritans, and even the remnants of the foreigners remaining in Canaan. As explained by several Bible commentators, the prophecy of greatness was again fulfilled in the nations of the tribes of Israel. They are especially distinguishable as separate nations when grouped in the wilderness and later in the promised land, each with their ensign and orderly grouping as separate tribes, making up one people. Numbers 2-1 through 31, 10-5, 6, and 13 through 28. During Joshua and Judges, the tribes had their own territories, armies, and governing structures, and also came together under the Judges as a single people. During the reign of Saul, Solomon, and David, there is more emphasis on the central government, but there were leaders that came together as representatives of the tribes, still constituting an assembly of peoples. During the divided kingdom, Ephraim became an assembling of the rebellious tribes of the northern kingdom, Judah of all the tribes, Judah, Benjamin, Levi and much of Simeon and the, faith, and the faithful of the northern tribes. This was the, quote, nation and, quote, company of nations promised to Abraham. And this interpretation is verified by verse 12 of Genesis 35, where we read, quote, And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. The, quote, nation and company of nations were to be in the lands of Canaan and the surrounding areas. Therefore, it is only in this land should we expect to see this prophecy fulfilled, and nowhere else. In fact, Abraham fathered not only the tribes of Israel and Judah, but also the Midianites, Genesis 25, 2, and 4, the Ishmaelites, Genesis 17:20, other tribes descended from his sons, Genesis 25, 1 through 3, together with the Edomites from his grandson Esau, Genesis 36. This was also the, quote, great multitude of nations of Genesis 17:5 and 7. Arguments based on the promises to Abraham are losing ground. Genesis 22:17 that the seed of Abraham would, quote, possess the gate of their enemies. In the past, this was given as a, quote, proof. The British Commonwealth controlled the seaports of the world and other gates. Leo Harris, the now late leader of the Christian Revival Crusade in Australia and British Israel teacher, once wrote, during the last 200 years or so, Great Britain and America, the, quote, Joseph nations of the Bible, have gained control of the sea gates of the world. Gibraltar, Panama, Malta, Aden, Suez, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Cape of Good Hope are some of the sea gates which Anglo-Saxon Israel possesses. One or two of these have been temporarily stolen from us in the ebb and flow of war, but these cause no alarm from a prophetic point of view for they are still rightly ours, and we must wait for the final peace terms before we wipe them off our list. 
and we have no doubt what those terms will be. All right, hold on a sec, guys. I got to go get a drink. I'll be right back. All right, so continuing, it said, uh, Leo Harris wrote that text in 1942. None of these, quote, Seagates remain in Commonwealth hands excepting Gibraltar, and Gibraltar now runs its affairs autonomously from Britain. We should look at a greater fulfillment of all these promises to Abraham, Hebrews 10.1. The term, quote, Israel can refer either to the physical ten tribes of the house of Israel, but also as the spiritual Israel of the new covenant. In the old covenant, the house of Israel was God's holy nation, Exodus 19.6. In the new covenant, the body of Christ is a, quote, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, 1 Peter 2.9 and Romans 9.6. Galatians 3:13 through 14, 16 and 29 explains that the blessings of Abraham discussed in Genesis are primarily for the new spiritual Israel, not fleshly Israel. Both Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the old covenant, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, quote, and to offsprings is of many, but it says, quote, and to your offspring, that is, to one person, who is Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Similarly, Romans 4.13 and 16-17 through 17 says, quote, For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He is made the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So, the blessings of Abraham are not on Great Britain because it is the leader of a commonwealth of nations. The blessings of Abraham are found primarily in the body of Christ, where we have taken hold of those promises, Acts 4.12, Romans 4.17. So, guys, I'm just going to say here, too, I'm now skeptical of uh, the theory of pre-Adamites. I think the Bible 
you know, kind of addresses that all the nations did come from Adam and uh, that they are now open to salvation through Christ, you know, heirs to the promise, um, just like, you know, saved in Isaac through faith um, and grace. Um, Hold on, guys. I'll be right back.
<clears throat> All right, guys, sorry. I think I'm going to actually stop this here, and I'll uh, come back and do a part two and finish it. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.